Welcome to the Spirit of Radio podcast with your hosts, AllAccess.com rock editor and 107.7 The Bone San Francisco air personality, Ken Anthony, and voice actor and rock radio personality, Frankie DeVita. Ken and Frankie are passionate about radio and music and how they intersect. With the ever-changing radio and music landscape, they'll chat about the artists, the music, the media, and keep the spirit of radio alive. It's the Spirit of Radio podcast. Now, here's Ken Anthony and Frankie DeVita. This is the Spirit of Radio podcast. I'm Frankie DeVita. I'm Ken Anthony. And today our guest is John Waite, singer, songwriter, bassist, and probably plays every other instrument as well. Founding member of the Babies, Bad English, and very successful solo artist in his own right. Welcome, John. Thanks for being here. Oh, thank you very much. Nice to see you. I, I love that. You got the guitar in your hand. Are, are you going to perform he's for gonna us? Ser- he's going to serenade us already. <laughs> no, no, no. no. <laughs> uh, I always feel a lot more comfortable with a guitar in my hands when I'm trying to communicate. So it's just, you know, we're in the dressing room, you know, dressing room. Well, you have a, a new album out, uh, Wooden Heart Acoustic Anthology Volumes 1, 2, and 3. So I assume this is number three that is out. Well, it's, it's, the, it's the first two releases plus the new release, released yeah. one thing. It's like uh, I probably got the idea from Bob Dylan's bootleg series, but uh, I can't remember. But it seemed like a good idea at the time. And the, the volume three was was probably uh, just scorching. I had to put something out and I was really pleased with the way it came out. Well, it sounds good to me. <laughs> uh, the... Um... The new single, Not Dark Yet, uh, really good. I have to say, your voice is amazing. It has held up over the years. You, you sound great. Thank you. Uh, even with, you know, normally you have all the instruments behind you and all that and, and completely stripped down like that. Your your voice just still sounds uh, really great, really amazing. Well, yeah, that's kind of like where I come from, though. And I appreciate what you're saying, but I don't really take any special care of it it's just there you know i mean i um yeah i have no idea why it's lasted so long and it might even be stronger you know but um john what made you decide to do um obviously you know your history with the babies and bad english and 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 so many big hits we'll get to in a little bit but what made you decide to do uh primarily an acoustic uh releases well, like about five years ago, I put out the first, <coughs> excuse me, uh, the first uh, edition of uh, Wooden Heart, and it was an EP. It was just four songs. In the 90s, everybody was releasing acoustic music, and I felt like I'd be jumping on the bandwagon a bit, you know. And uh, I was on with something else a little different, too. And, um, uh, you know, when I, when I was a kid, it was the first guitar I heard was the acoustic guitar. My cousin Michael is quite a famous musician in England. And when he was a kid, he had this big national, uh, this black resonator guitar. And he played me all sorts of skiffle music and, and blues, Hank Williams. Uh, and he got me into Brenda Lee and his sister, Carol, gave us a radiogram. And they were very uh, involved in my development, really. And then my brother Joe kicked off and got a, a guitar became a, a tremendously good guitar player. And it was just me, you know, I, it was time for me to do something. But the acoustic guitar was the first instrument I really loved. 
And a lot of the songs that I wrote for the babies or solo all came from the acoustic. You know, I'd go in with an acoustic song with the babies and they'd just kick the daylights out of it. It'd become more country or something. They'd give it a backbeat. But a lot of these songs that I've written over the years come from the acoustic. So it was, a, it was something I love, you know. When I went to live in Nashville in the 90s, I wasn't looking to go country or anything. I was just looking for somebody else that played the acoustic. You know, I have folk, folk and blues roots and, uh, and then maybe some country, uh, some soul. But, uh, you know, the acoustic guitar has always been my first love, if you like. Well, it's, it's obvious that you have uh, various musical styles that have influenced you. Um, and I found that a, a lot of people, a lot of musicians that, you know, started way back when in, in Britain, they yeah. had all those influences there. They um, and they were looking to American artists, too. Yeah. Growing up as a kid, you know, you, you listen to all this folk stuff and like the Dubliners and, and uh, uh, the Clancy Brothers and uh, Teddy, uh, Paddy Makin, uh, all the really great Irish singers. Plus uh, the sort of more uh, driven uh, British kind of folk music like um, Dirty Old Town and the, the songs that were written kind of like um, A Street to London, Ralph McTell, all that stuff. But uh, uh, when I, in my coming of age years, uh, I became very aware of Fairport Convention and um, the Incredible String Band. It was always there, you know. But I mean, uh, as a child, I listened to a lot of cowboy music, Marty Robbins. That was a big record for me. And not that I owned it, but I, I knew people that had it. They could hear it on the TV. Um, Gunfighter Ballads and Trail Songs. That was a big record for me because it was cowboys and Indians. And right behind that is rock and roll. You know, it went from like running around with a six shooter and thinking you're in America somewhere to hearing <laughs> rock and roll. And it just is transformative, you know. It's like, put down that gun, that plastic gun. Here's a plastic guitar, you know. It was just, um, <laughs> it, was, it was really, it was really just a natural step, you know. I've always found that, I've always found that really uh, interesting, John. Um, when you talk to uh, uh, British uh, musicians, they often uh, state American artists as influences, and when you talk to American artists, they often state British artists as right. influences. Where does that come from? Well, I think the grass is always green. I think when you <laughs> you're raised in a certain way, you look for something outside it. And it's just a natural thing. Um, but I do believe that the Rolling Stones uh, are completely driven by blues. Yeah. Uh, they didn't just play a three chord blues. Uh, they, uh, as early as the, the, the first, second record, they started writing songs that were yeah. the, the fourth and fifth chord and became very articulate about what they felt about the system in Britain, using the blues as a, a springboard. You know, I mean, Muddy Waters and Howling Wolf, those, uh, Hubert Sumlin, the guitar player, I mean, all those guys were gigantic influences on uh, British music. And um, as well as singers, you know, the great British singers, like um, all of them, Robert Plant, Rod Stewart, uh, uh, 
all of them. Well, the first Zeppelin album was very, very much uh, uh, a blues album, uh, American I blues. Think that's most, it's the same thing, though. As Zeppelin went forward, they were using the three-chord uh, blueprint, but they added those fifth and sixth and sometimes seventh chords. I mean, Stairway to Heaven has nothing to do with blues, really, but right. guitar playing does, you know. Um, so it becomes, you know, music isn't necessarily... One thing or another is completely liquid, and you can uh, transpose one form of music over another. Uh, Robert Plant's certainly done that with his interest in uh, North African music. Uh, you know, the Saharan music that seems to be Morocco. You know, it seems to fascinate Robert. And um, but just going back to it, like like Joe Conker, what an incredible talent! And he's singing. Mm. He's influenced obviously by soul music, and yet he didn't copy it that's the mark of an artist you don't sound like your roots how's that you, do, well do you, 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 go ahead you, you back do you feel like you've reinvented yourself uh throughout your career um no because if you played the first baby's album um or, or you took some of those songs and you put them on wooden heart and you played them acoustically you couldn't tell where they came from. It wouldn't be like, oh, yeah. I think I hit the ground running. You know, I didn't think of myself as a singer, but everybody else did. I was more of a bass player. But when I realized I needed a singer, I took it seriously and stepped in. But I'm not being coy. I always knew I could sing. But primarily, I wanted to just write songs and be a bass player. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, your your new single is called Not, Not Dark Yet. Yeah. Uh, was that... <laughs> um, was that song born out of a pandemic and political upheaval? Where did, where did that song come from? That's Bob Dylan. I, uh, oh. I, yeah, Bob. So I, um, it was one of those very dangerous songs that, that Dylan comes up with occasionally. That's, it rattles the windows, you know. I remember hearing it for the first time like 20 years ago and thinking there were certain songs with Dylan you know, like uh, Masters of War or Vicious of Joanna or go from the North Country. There's, there's just like certain songs where it's just, you know that he's broken through wherever he was heading to and he's doing something else. And Not Dark Yet was like an existential uh, blues. It was just this profoundly uh, articulate uh, thoughtful I don't know what you'd call it. It was just him, I think, thinking about his life and time. And uh, Well, it works. It's, it, it worked then and it works now. So the more things change, the more they stay the same, right? Well, with, with Dylan, uh, it, you know, the, 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 uh, it's like Hendrix. There's only, you only get one of those every several mm -hmm. lifetimes. Mm -hmm. So I, I take it that he would be one of your influences. And, and if so... Um, uh, who else would you say are some of your musical influences uh, from the beginning? Well, all, you know, like I said, the cowboy music into, you know, whatever. But kid, obviously, I, I was very aware of um, of the Beatles and the Stones, the Who. I saw the Who once play when I was about 17, and it was it was almost religious. Wow. It was unbelievable. Mm. You know, in an in mm. a, a 1800-seat hall. In my, in my local town, they, it was unbelievable. And uh, 
the small faces were an influence, humble pie. Three were, were really strong because uh, they were blues and there's only three guys playing instruments. There was Paul Rogers, but Andy Fraser's bass playing, Cream, uh, Jack Bruce. I love bass players, you know. Paul McCartney is like a god on the bass. So, I mean, it's like, you know, even the stuff that I don't like influences me because it tells me what I don't like. Yeah, <laughs> that's a good yeah. point. Yeah. And How'd you, you feel about the Sex Pistols? I loved them. And I still listen to them. I think that the, the, that the one album they made, I really like it. I mean, I always did. I thought it was very well done. And it, it didn't pull any punches. It was well produced. Uh, it, the guitar playing, Steve Jones, tremendous. The whole thing. I just And John Lydon, who turned out to be this great bloke, you know, at one point, he's, <laughs> it looks like he's going to eat your cat. But it, <laughs> yeah. so he cares deeply about uh, the next guy and, and children and, and education and rights. He, he turned out to be everything that he said he was, you know. And uh, he's a national treasure now in Britain. Everybody loves him. But, I mean, that's, the Sex Pistols were huge. They were just great. You know, mm-hmm. I, I look back at them and I've met a couple of them. I mean, uh, Steve Jones is a really regular guy, really nice guy, but they're all nice guys, really. All the ones that are great, you know? Yeah. You, uh, you, uh, from what I've researched about you and, and basically listening to your lyrics, um, you seem to be the song type of songwriter that always has a, a, a pad and pen close by. You kind of write about life. Is that, would that be accurate? Oh, wow. there you go. Frank, you, you called it. You must yeah. write in shorthand. That's a very small notepad. <laughs> no, it's like, you know, you collect all these uh, these really lovely books, uh, blank pages, you know, really, really nice ones. You, you find the, the ones you really want to use, and then you wind up using something you bought, you bought at CVS on the way out. You know? <laughs> and it's got the best ideas in. But, um, yeah, I always do. I mean, um, and nowadays you can sing into your phone and record it, so... Ideas don't get away from me too often. Well, uh, being a yeah. great songwriter is a twenty-four-seven gig, so you're 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 proving that. Um, I have to talk a little bit about the babies. I just thought, mm-hmm. what a fantastic band! What a fantastic band! That must have been a lot of fun for you. Yeah, it was great to come to America. I mean, one minute I'd already been to America to join a band in Cleveland when I was about uh, 20, 21. Stayed for about four months, didn't work out, went home and just started the babies. And um, within two and a half years, three years, I don't know what it was, two two years, I was back in America with a record deal. You know, it it Mm -hmm. happened quickly. Um, Wow, yeah. Um, Just going to New York City and going uh, to California to, to go to Tennessee and see the Ryman. Mm. Go to Memphis to see, you know, Sun Studios. And, I mean, you have no idea. I mean, you do. But I mean, in those days, <laughs> Cleveland, you know, I mean, it was like the home of rock and roll. It was like every time you went uh, to a new city, you could tell where you were. Boston felt like Boston. Chicago felt like Chicago. I mean, it's a very hard thing to describe to somebody. Mm. But before all the shopping malls were built and... Uh, there was a lot of uh, gentrification and uh, uh, urban planning. They just started again, which was good. 
But uh, America was really still had its toes in the 40s, 30s. Some of the architecture mm -hmm. goes back to the 18th century. It was just so beautiful. But uh, You know, John, I, I was going to tell you, um, you know, Frankie and I uh, both have done rock radio for years. <clears throat> and um, the song Head First is one of those ones, I think Frankie will tell you that, uh, I try and blow out my speakers whenever I hear that song. <laughs> wow. Such a great that. rock song. In the sound check, we just played that. Wow. Yeah. Well, the first time that I saw you, you were down. Uh, Forget it. Uh, I love it. <laughs> no, we, we, got, we got a little bit out of there, Ken. You were down and out. And I had my doubts about you. Anyway, that's, that's just such a great amazing. song. Yeah, wow. I just love your voice. That's great. Yeah. Thank you. Um, okay, so uh, I wanted to talk to you about your art, uh, not yeah. your musical art, but your painting, your drawing. Um, yeah. You yeah. love, uh, you do the selfie art, your self-portrait. Yeah. Uh, which is great. That's how selfie should be done. Yes. <laughs> Honestly, I know. Um, it's just a you know. I used to sign people's albums if they, if they were waiting outside uh, in the rain to get in, and we had a sold out show or something. I would spend the extra minute or two talking to them and give them a pick, and then I I would do this caricature on the albums instead of just signing it. Just that extra little something to mm -hmm. say, you know, thank you. And then people started ringing up and asking for him. And then people wanted to give him away his gifts. And, um, you know, being in the dressing room, like we have four hours to kill before we play tonight. So, you know, we just do these caricatures. They're kind of like, you know, I do, I do more serious work that I sell on the internet, you know. And, um, but it's when a, you drew your a, album cover, your album yeah, cover is, is your yeah, album. Yeah. Yeah. I think actually that, that was the, that was, I did that and I looked at it and thought, it reminded me of Self-Portrait, the uh, the uh, Dylan album. And I thought, mm -hmm. why not? And maybe that was why I got to the three CDs. And, uh, but uh, I take it pretty seriously, but they, they're just caricatures, but um, they don't cost the earth at all. I try and keep the cost down really low, but on the but other- it does look like you. Oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah no, I supposed to. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, um, yeah, in different stages of uh, playing the guitar or like straight out of bed or whatever, they're pretty realistic, but they're a nice thing to have. I mean, they're only, uh, they're, I, it's like just doing for fun, really. But I've done other things. I mean, there's people that I really love, like Patti Smith. I did a pretty good pencil drawing of Patti Smith, do abstract stuff. Uh, Eric Sarty, the composer. I found a picture of Eric Sutter that I thought was really great. So I, I did that. There's one of Artaud, the French surrealist poet. It all sounds very high level, but these people have great faces. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm, I'm going to turn to country greats soon. I'm going to, and Dylan and, and the people that really move me, I'm going to try and do a series of pictures. Uh, and they don't have to be necessarily musicians either. There's some people who have just fantastic faces. And when you draw them, they, it, it seemed to come alive even more, you know. Does draw does when you do your art? Is it a different kind of creative feeling that you get, like a different, like a a different kind of, I don't know, a calming feeling maybe. Well, when you're painting, 
uh, you do tend to get lost inside it and your brain is going all over the place. But you're also like meditating. You're outside mm-hmm. of yourself. And yeah, this beautiful, uh, I mean, it's a real connection to what you're doing and you're completely focused, but your mind's at the movies. And that's a lot like when you're, <laughs> when you're singing on stage, that's the same thing. I mean, I, as soon as I sing my, the first note of the evening or whatever it is, I'm completely lost in it. And it's the same thing as painting. So maybe there's something that uh, shuts down and something that opens up as you, as, you, uh, as you do that sort of thing. It's very, very focused, you know. The, um, the solo stuff, um, obviously missing you. It, it's so funny. Um, I was listening uh, here in Los Angeles to a sports radio broadcast and uh, they had that bumper music that came out uh, of a commercial and they were playing Missing You. Oh, really? Yeah. And the, and, and the two announcers stopped talking about sports for a while. They kept on going, oh, my God, this is the greatest song. I, lo-. I mean, it was just <laughs> they went off for like five minutes and oh, I knew we were going to be talking. So I had to share that with you. That no, song. Really- that's great. It means so much to so many people. I know. I mean, I, I'm really grateful for it. I mean, it came out of nowhere. It was the last song I wrote for the record, co-wrote. Uh, it took me by surprise. I'd been away from home for like five months. I was married, you know. I wanted to get home, and I, I couldn't get home. I had to finish the record. And I, was, I knew we needed one more song, and I was jamming through this thing, somebody else's instrumental take. And I... I got the whole, I, I, I sang every time I think of you for the first line to get right. me rolling. Because that's a baby song. Yeah. It immediately followed that with, I always catch my breath and I'm still standing here and you're miles away and I'm wondering why you left. And there's a slow wow. raging through my frozen heart tonight. I ain't missing you at all since you've been gone away. I sang that in one piece. But that's like, wow. we used to do it with the babies, you know. I would walk in like a, like a caged animal or something. I had so much I wanted to get out and kick off a chord and, and Tony would hit a beat and I'd just make stuff up. And it would be, <laughs> you can't, yeah, I know, you can't rely on it. You can't, it's like once you say, oh yeah, I'll take care of that. I'll just make something up. It goes away. It's a very feminine thing. It's like a woman. If you disrespect a woman or you don't pay her the right amount of attention, it, it goes away. And it's mm. just like that. The muse, wow. the muse. I would agree with that. But, <laughs> but it's like a feminine thing, the muse. It's like in your shadow. It's the opposite of what you are. And, and sometimes it, it comes to um, to see you. But you can't always, you can't go like, I'm ready now. It's, so it, it, it doesn't work like that. That must have been, uh, uh, you know, it's like you said, sometimes the greatest art comes very quickly it's like almost an inspiration but that song is just i mean every time i hear it it's 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 a classic it's it's Mm -hmm. fantastic so we have to compliment you for that thank you well i have uh, to say yeah go ahead no i was gonna say it might have been better to be number two than be number one wow because uh i wouldn't have had to deal with the stigma of being number one I, I could have been highly successful, and but then again, when they when the roll call is goes down about the eighties and whatever, missing you will be number one. And absolutely, yeah, it, it, it touched a great many people, which is uh, means a huge amount to me. 
Mm-hmm. Just so, you know, you could say that all of us are alone. We try and find someone to build a, a life with and everything. But um, when somebody, when a, when a large amount of the, the population of the planet says, I understand you, by yeah. your song that you wrote, then that's, some, that's a really, that's the coolest thing. If my job, like Anstey Burdan said, God bless him, God rest his soul. He said, if my job is to make people happy, you know, I've got the best job in the world. And if, even if it doesn't make them happy, but they're touched by what I do and they don't feel alone, they recognize something in me that's in them, then man, my life is totally worthwhile and I'll take it. I'm honored to do it, you know. Well, I have to say in uh, preparing for this podcast, I completely went down memory lane with your music. <laughs> Um, especially the videos. What change was one of my favorites. I loved that song. I still do. And yeah. watching you in the video, the reporter, it was just, it was just so fun. And it totally took me back to that age that I was, um, which is so great about music and and stuff. Yeah. But do you do you um, look back on that time when you were doing videos and like what what, what did you think of that time and that whole MTV well, thing? You know, I was. I was um... Neil Giraldo produced that record from mm. Pat Benatar. That's who we're playing with today. And um, when I hear that album, Ignition, I, I, I am transported back to New York City. I had a little tiny crash pad opposite the Dakota and about seven months, six months before John Lennon had been assassinated oh. on my doorstep. So it was my first time by myself without a band around me. Uh, in a big city by myself you know it was like it was interesting but i made great friends ivan crawl the late ivan crawl the late great ivan crawl mickey pop and patty smith and frankie LaRocca, you know and I, I met all the musicians that were really great musicians you know and hung out with them and all the djs vjs from mtv it was a much smaller town new york city mm-hmm. it, was, uh, it was villagey almost um there was only like 200 people on the scene. It's like the Who used to have the 100 faces. They were mods that would show up every gig to see them. They call them the 100 faces. And you could say there was 100 faces or more in New York that were the same people that would show up at <coughs> the most weirdest times, after-hours clubs, your gigs, club gigs. If you went somewhere, you'd see the same girls. You know, it was... Mm-hmm. Tremendous time to be in New York. But yeah, the answer to the question is yeah, I'm transported every yeah. time I uh, every time I hear that record, I'm I'm gone. That's you know? that's great. Well, I was too. I was transported <laughs> too every time I hear that song. <laughs> um, I do want to ask you, he was uh Ken brought up the babies earlier. Yeah. And then after the babies, you had a successful solo career, and then you re reunited with Jonathan Kane and Ricky Phillips, and you formed a super group bad english why what made you decide to go back into a group setting well i i got a deal with epic records my manager trudy green walked me into epic and they said yeah we want john wick and then i met the a and r guy and he wanted to like take over my life and he didn't think i was any much of a writer uh you have to remember that an a and r guy it's artist and repertoire mm-hmm. right? Some people in the music business call it always wrong. 
you know. Mm. <laughs> but uh, I left the office after meeting him thinking, what, what the fuck was that? It was like, you know, somebody kind of dis- dissing me as he's shaking my hand. And I thought, well, I don't know what happened in my head, but by the time me and Trudy had hit Madison Avenue, I just turned around and said, we should start a band. And then mm. four or five of us and one of him and I can stand in the back and they can deal with him and I can write and it's going to be just fine. And it might have been influenced by David Bowie doing Tin Machine. Yeah. You know, because mm. that's out of the blue. He's in a band. And also I'd, I'd had uh, two misfires with uh, EMI. Uh, they'd changed from EMI America to EMI Manhattan overnight when I'd released a record. And one minute it was like number one or number two at radio and records, ready to go on Monday. I went to Germany to do some press, came back, and it was like 78. I got mm. lost in the shuffle. Fair enough. It happens all the time. But um, I didn't think radio would take me seriously as another solo because it had been the second time that a record had stiffed. And it, I, you know, I'm nobody's fool here. It's like if you come out with something new, uh, they'll give you a shot, you know, and, and deservedly so. I didn't intend to involve Journey or the babies. That just happened. I mean, I was looking for a guitar player. I couldn't find one. I swear. You know, and I, I went to Jonathan Kenner and said, do you want to do something? He said, yeah. And it was like, we, we wrote a couple of songs. It worked. Neil came by, put the guitar on, and then left his cigarettes and his life. <laughs> and then... He's, like, he's, oh, I got to come by and get them. Yeah, you know. <laughs> oh, I, That's I, funny. Yeah, I left my wife's wedding ring on the uh, on the console. <laughs> I have to come back. You know, and he just kept showing up. So it got to the point where we had these demos, and, they, and then somebody said, well, we need a bass player. And we had all these kind of like guys that played five-string basses and stuff. <laughs> you know, it was like Jacko Pastoria's time, you know, because Neil likes all that stuff. And... uh it wasn't going to be that. We needed somebody real solid, and Ricky was available. God bless him. So Ricky came down, and we wound up in L.A. as a four-piece band looking for a drummer, you know. Wow. And Dean came down with Neil because Dean had been in a band in a club, and Neil had got up to jam with them the night before, and it was love at first sight. They were inseparable, you know. And uh, Dean came down and played, uh, played a bunch of... Uh, jazz and played all the way put drum solos through everything i couldn't get any kind of melody going and he didn't get the job and i think after about a week neil talked to him and said just come back and just think about it you know it's a singer you know and he came back in and he was so great um he was so great and became an integral part of the band of the great personality great time really a lovely guy i think he was uh, the guy that kept us all laughing through some uh, <laughs> racing time. You always you need know? comic relief. Yeah. Oh, hey, we certainly do. And, hey, John, and you, know what's, you, you know what's interesting, uh, what you're talking about? Uh, it, what's, what's fascinating to me is you see artists throughout their career, whether they're in a band or doing solo, even, even guys like Tom Petty, who had the Heartbreakers, would do solo records. Yeah. Um, what is the primary, obviously be, being by yourself, but, but it seems like sometimes you just want to do your own thing and other times you want to be in a band. What, what, yeah. what is the cycle like for you in that regard? Well, I think, I think every, like, um, 
every two or three years, I think you just look at what you've done and you don't recognize it. It's like you, you've drank the, the glass dry. It's like, it's like mm. you look at it and you think, what was I thinking? You know, that's, that's really okay, but it, it could have gone to this. Mm-hmm. And um, you don't need a band around you to, um, to, to make that, that leap. I think if you're any good at all, you never stop. You never look back and take a victory lap. You yeah. never thank the academy, you know, and the little people. <laughs> you always know there's more work to do. And yeah. you feel these conceited people like, you know, yeah, that's right, I'm a genius. You know, it's <laughs> like, fucking shut up, you know? <laughs> anyway, never ends. And the, you can say things a million different ways, but when you say it in a, in a very simplistic way, talking about Tom Petty, Tom yeah. Petty's later work from Full Moon Fever forward, hmm. uh, and, you know, he had Ringo on drums at one point, but it's standard. Yeah. But uh, all the, the Heartbreakers were wonderful. But you could hear something else in the solo records that was... Wildflowers, yeah. Uh, you know, wow. Uh, Tom, yeah. very, very mm-hmm. soulful, very intelligent, accurate. You know, this guy could hold his own with Bob Dylan. So mm. what do you say? Yeah. Well, I agree. I'm a huge Petty fan. Uh, mm-hmm. And it's, it, today happens to be his um, birthday as well. And... Um, it's it's really interesting um, how yeah I mean the heartbreaker stuff was great but his solo stuff was equally as great but so different so I always found that interesting how an artist you know who's done solo wants to be in a band sometimes and it's just kind of a, a flip I guess you get to a point and you say well I want my mates around and other times I just want to do my own thing it's interesting to me it's, yeah you have options that's great well you know Tom had a had a recording studio and a huge. Uh, a warehouse full of guitars and he could go and record. But I think uh, doing the mud crutch thing and um, I mean, the interesting thing is what the guy who used to make all my clothes in the babies. I used to have some really amazing suits and stuff, mm-hmm. even in bad English. I mean, he came back I mean, an English guy called uh, Glenn Palmer, but he lived in, uh, in Tom's uh, pool house. Wow. Tom, um, <laughs> Tom, uh, he was just great friends with Tom as back as far back as the seventies. They were they were really close friends, and um, so I'd get some insight from Glenn about what was going on and where they were going. But um, it's funny how it's a small world like that. But but yeah. really of that, you have to look back at P- Petty's work and uh, appreciate, you know, American Girl. Mm. You know, mm-hmm. wow. Uh, you know, breakdown. Raised on promises. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I mean, that it was way ahead of its time. And it was country tinged, you know, yeah. like mm-hmm. the birds. So there was there was that beautiful thing. Authentic, you know. Well, John, our, our podcast is called The Spirit of Radio Podcast. And one of the questions we like to ask uh, the artists that we're interviewing is, do you remember the first time you heard yourself on the radio? And do you remember what station it was? Um, well, I was in a car, a convertible, with the other babies going down PCH, mm. um, going to visit Ronnie Wood at Malibu Colony. And um, I think it was, if you got the time, uh, 
but it was like one of those moments. I mean, one minute we were in some awful cellar basement just below the Thames by uh, London Bridge and Tower Bridge. Between those two, Tooley Street is all like big warehouses, you know, and fog. And there's a little pub on the corner with an old guy in it playing the piano, you know. My old man said, follow the van and down dearly alley on the way. Everybody, you know, it was, <laughs> it was really cockney, you know. And we were in a basement next door in a cellar rehearsing and it was cold and there was no money. And, you know, it was pretty, it was Dickensian. And then you look forward maybe a year and we're shooting down PCH to visit Ronnie Wood, one of the stones. And there was a billboard on, on Sunset Strip. There's a bus on the babies. I mean, life was suddenly, it, wow. it just went like a skyrocket. Yeah. That's great. KLOS. It could have been anything. You know, I mean, I really don't know. But it's only like, there's only like three stations in LA that would probably do that, you know. Yeah. At that Frankie yeah. and I both, Frankie and I both worked at KLOS, so mm -hmm. we, we know it well. And, yes. uh, it, it, <laughs> and a lot of artists have said they heard their, first music, especially in, in Los Angeles on KLOS or KMET. So yeah, uh, it's always a thrill, I'm sure, for you when you hear it. So you are, okay, so once again, I just want to reiterate, your your album is Wooden Heart Acoustic Anthology Volumes 1, 2, and 3. Yeah. Your current single is Not Dark Yet. Yeah. Um, and all, I, I have to say, kudos to whoever does your website. I think your website is really well done. It's, um, Thank you. uh, it's johnwaitworldwide.com. And what I really love about it is when you click on your albums, you have written out what was going in your life, what was going on in your life when you recorded that album. I think that's um, fantastic. I think it's a nice little insight into your world uh, written by you. So uh, that was great. Um, it's pretty hands-on. We do Facebook too. I mean, I, I try and answer all the emails. I really do. I, if somebody emails me something, I try and get back to them. But sometimes it's impossible. But I do believe, uh, you know, the internet is is quite something. It really is. It, it is. It could be a, a it could be a force for good and a force for evil. <laughs> so yeah. why will in the trouble we're in worldwide, it could actually be that, you know, we're just yeah. we're thrown into the deep end with something we can't control and everybody has a voice and everybody's talking at once. Mm -hmm. So your tour is uh, all the tour dates are on the website as well. And um, before we wrap up here in, in a minute, you know, um, what, what's, what's always interesting to me when we talk to different artists is that you must realize, and I think you do, that not everyone who starts out being a musician, whether it's in uh, the UK or the United States, ends up having a career like yours. Um, so I want to um, congratulate you for that. And, Thank you. and so it must be, um, must be really uh, special. Well, you know, my mom, she's 96. I talked to her yesterday on the phone. And she said, John, you have done well. I'm so proud of you. And I thought, oh, mom. Yeah, it's, <laughs> yeah, yeah, awesome. Know, it's lovely, you know. But when you look back at, at like me going to America before I actually got the babies off the ground, I didn't really know what was going to happen when I got off the plane. And uh, I had no money. 
Mm. And I had no money when I came back. And the babies was like two years of slogging, writing, auditioning, sticking with it through thick and thin and having nothing really. And I'd been in bands for like maybe seven years before that. I mean, I've paid some serious dues. Yeah. Then you get the record deal and then the fun starts. And then you look at all the baby stuff and the explosion of us losing a key member and putting two guys in to cover and still having hits and touring our brains out. And then going home to England, having an accident, actually going home to England and coming back and work, working with Neil Giraldo in New York City on Ignition and then going back again and then getting on EMI and having a number one single and then the EMI records, then Bad English, to mm. them, then back to the solo stuff, Temple Bar, which was like a whole new beginning. Temple Bar was probably the best thing I've ever done. But people say, how did you hang in there? But what, what else would I do? Yeah. It isn't honestly like, you know, I'll just do it for the team. You know, fuck yeah. that. I mean, it's, I need to do it to live to know who I am. And mm -hmm. that's why I can always say I'm lucky because I've had the chance to express myself. Like I said before, if someone understands you, that's absolutely something else. That's just fantastic. If half the world buys your record and thinks that you've written this song, I mean, you couldn't really, you know, once was enough for me. I don't particularly want to live in that world. I'd rather just go off and do something different every so often, like the wooden mm -hmm. art stuff. But I've had the freedom to do what I want to do because I was stubborn and I didn't quit. Mm -hmm. Wow. Yeah. Very well said. You. Very well said. So no, as you bet. <laughs> as you said, OK, so you're you're on tour right now. And I have to say well, thank you very much for uh, taking time while you're on tour to oh, talk yeah. to us. It was um, nice. nice to actually and, find some. You wouldn't believe how boring it gets in the dressing room. <laughs> well, we hope well, we've livened it up a bit. I have a feeling it's never going to be boring with you in the dressing room there, John. You got well, your and uh, you're guitar. Out with, you're you out got there your, with Pat you got your Neil, notepad. too. Yeah. You got yeah. everything. No, it's, it's a great time. We're having a ball. Actually, we've had some fantastic shows this week, and um, everything seems to be going well. It's like, you know, I've got Tim Hogan here, my best friend. Oh. Hang on. Uh, look at Tim, go and say hello, Tim. Hey, Tim. On, hey, Tim. Yeah. Yeah, we but, see uh, Tim Hogan, 76 over there. Uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah, so. <laughs> well, what can you do? Uh, but, you know, it's, it's just been a great week. We've had, it, everything is going so well. It's just like you're just waiting for the shoe to drop. But it's just we're having a great time. Really, really fantastic time. That's awesome. That's great. That's awesome. Well, uh, if you are... Uh, Wanting some John Waite, you can get on his website, johnwaiteworldwide.com. You can uh, click to buy tickets uh, for this tour. You're going to be here in Southern California. Um, one of the dates is at, in Montclair. I might go check out that date. That's not too Canyon far Club. from where I'm at. Well, why don't you come down and, and, uh, and, and you know, say hello. We'll say hello. And hang out. Hey, it's Neil. <laughs> yeah. So it's all Great. is that that's Neil? Hey Neil, what's going on? <laughs> nah, I don't need it. Look, when you say, say hello to these nice people. Hello, Hi, Neil. Neil. Hello. Hi there. I'm, 
I'm nice Frankie. This is Ken. Hi, how you guys doing? Yeah. We're we're uh, we're former KLOS DJs, and we're doing the Spirit mm-hmm. of Radio podcast now. Oh, oh great! Fantastic. We'll have to get you and Pat on at some point. Sure. Yeah, of course. We would love it, My buddy. Yeah. yeah, God bless you. We were just talking about that awesome album you produced. Yeah. Oh, right. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Nice, nice to see you. Nice to see you. Uh, yeah, well, I'm good. Yeah, but I got sleep, you know. Like you were in the baby's together? Yeah, yeah. Oh! Wow. You know what? Well, you know what, John? I call that rock star humor. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, God. yeah. Are we? Are we uh, at that point? You know. Oh, that's going. Yeah. Oh, I see a bit. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, that music. I found the music. Oh, great. We have to talk about uh, whether it's, it's this is inside <laughs> stuff, ladies and gentlemen. Great. I All love right. it. That's great. So part of the show. Yeah. yeah. I love it. We've taken far too much of your time. So Frank Neil, Neil grabbed us to go box. All right. Um, anything anything else you want uh you feel we need to know about with your what you're currently promoting? Um, well, there's a documentary coming out next year on me. A full wow. budget, yeah, full budget. That's Major. awesome. I- yeah, it's it's uh, Neil's in it. I mean, a lot of people are in it, but uh, it just happened in in lockdown. And um, I don't know. I, I, I I've sworn to myself I'm not going to watch it because I just don't know. What, I mean, it takes a lot to watch yourself uh, talking about your life and what you're mad at and what you love and all that. I try to be as honest as I could. But, um, you know, I think um, the fact that it was filmed in the pandemic, I don't know if it, if it comes off as being warm and fuzzy. I think we're all climbing the walls. But I mean, yeah. there's a lot of people involved. I mean, a lot. And um, a lot of video footage. Lot of Does stuff. it have a title yet? The Hard Way. Wow. Yeah. Okay. You know, we 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 just did a a, um, a podcast with the immediate family, Danny Korchmar and oh, yeah. Wachtell and them. Mm-hmm. And um, good. Very good. there is a uh, documentary being done on them. They said it's been re- recorded for, what, two years, Frankie, and it's coming out next. Week. I mean, and I said, it's amazing how much footage yeah. that is cut that you'll that no one will ever see. Well, you know, Korchmar is uh, he's, he's a, an incredibly good writer and mm-hmm. uh, he's a a good producer um and um Wattel is just the sweetest guy in the world and a great guitar player I mean, he's he's the guy that played with keith richards and he's keith richards go-to yep. guy for the winners you know i mean i mean there's some real talent in that band so you know yeah, yeah they got jim keltner and uh i mean we were really it was really really great talking to them and it was funny because we talked about just the opposite of what you were talking about how they've been session players for all these years yeah. and what decided, what did they, why did they decide to finally do a group? And they basically said, because we love each other and we, you know, mm. and we've been playing with, with each other for years. So why not do it? So it's, it was really a, a fascinating answer. Yeah. It's interesting to see that. Yeah. I mean, uh, it's almost like a Tennessee kind of thing to do. It's like, uh, mm-hmm. we're, we're really classy musicians that play with different people get together 
and it's not like a, a super group or anything. It's just friends, you know, meeting up on Tuesday nights and plugging in, you know, and it's, uh, it actually goes back to what you loved when you were a kid. Because when you were a kid, you know, it's like all getting together in somebody's living room and making a racket. Just jamming. Yeah, but these days yep. it's actually high-end music. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, John, thank you so much for taking time to talk to us. Yeah, I'm uh, sorry about bursting out into cotton here, but uh, I have this neat <laughs> cotton today. My oh man. <laughs> 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 oh man no, it's we perfectly love it. fine yeah all right hit up uh john worldwide.com again to uh get to his music uh buy tickets to his current tour uh you're playing a lot of dates so you're gonna be out there till mid-december yeah i know we're lucky i was just talking to tim yesterday we're driving towards st augustine and um day before actually we had the day off yesterday and uh how how fortunate we are to have all these dates that were moved from mm -hmm. earlier in the year. And, um, you know, we were supposed to go to Holland and uh, about a month ago, and that got moved again for the second time. But we have a lot of dates in America, and uh, we're determined to play them. And uh, we would urge you all out there to get vaccinated. Just to Well, yes, we're looking forward to seeing you. And, John, please uh, be safe out on the tour. Yep. And uh, Frankie and I, again, thank you very much. Frankie, you want to wrap it up here and we'll go from there? Yeah. Um, all right. Uh, well, thank you again, John, for being here. It's been a real pleasure. I was super excited that you are uh, free, available during, you know, after soundcheck to come on and, and do this with us. Um, this is the Spirit of Radio podcast. I'm Frankie DeVita. I'm Ken Anthony. And you can uh, please like, share, and comment on the Spirit of Radio podcast. You can also reach us at the Spirit of Radio podcast at gmail.com. Again, John, thank you so much. Yeah, Thanks, John. Be well. Best of luck on the tour. See Thanks. you soon. Bye -bye. I'll see you in Montclair. Yes. <laughs> yes, you will. <laughs> All right. This is the Spirit of Radio podcast. Keep the faith. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Spirit of Radio podcast. We'll have another episode coming soon. Please feel free to like, share, or comment. You can reach Ken and Frankie at the Spirit of Radio Podcast at gmail.com. The Spirit of Radio Podcast, keeping the spirit of radio alive.